Hi, I am Julie Nelson, and I am the host of this podcast, Healthcare Startups. Uh, I am an attorney, and I've been practicing law for now almost 30 years doing healthcare regulatory work. And in this podcast, my goal is to highlight for you as somebody who's interested in either going into a healthcare business or doing a healthcare business partnership, or even have a healthcare business on some of the legal considerations and potential risk areas that might apply to healthcare business models. Um, just want to make sure that you have some of the information and the resources next necessary so that you can structure your business or conduct your business in a way that is compliant and will keep you out of trouble, ideally. I am an attorney, but this is not an attorney-client privileged relationship, um, and uh, this is not intended to be complete or even any legal, financial, or compliance advice. And it's not intended to be a complete or extensive list of every potential legal, financial, or compliance issues that may apply to any type of business model, whether in the healthcare industry or not. So just have to throw out that disclaimer since I am an attorney. Today's podcast is talking about business, the business structure from the very beginning, the formation of your healthcare business. Now, the, generally the healthcare businesses, when you put them together, are going to be just like any other business line, but there will be aspects that are different. So the, the things that just apply generally, like any other business, is you're going to have to obviously form your business and you have to decide what type of business entity you want, whether you want it to be a corporation, limited liability company, professional limited liability company, professional corporation, for example. You've got to give thought as to where you want to form the business and make sure that the business is properly registered in the states in which you plan to operate. You have to consider the tax implications of whatever business model you select. Uh, and this is important, and it's important to consult with legal and or financial advisors, such as your accountants, as to which business model might be the best for you. If you are operating under a DBA or a trade name, uh, many states may require that the trade name be registered in the state, and you may want to protect uh, any type of trademarks, for example, as well by going through that process. Uh, if you are in the healthcare field, however, and you are starting a business that is a professional practice, like a professional corporation, um, a professional you know, run by physicians, for example, some state professional boards do regulate whether or not you can actually use a trade name or at least have some restrictions on your ability to use a trade name. Also, you know, there's not a guarantee that you're going to be a for-profit business entity. You know, you might be in the business like many healthcare providers to be a nonprofit or charitable healthcare provider organization. And if so, just like every other nonprofit, you're going to have to comply with any of the internal revenue service requirements for charitable organizations. And federal laws may limit the amount to which you are able to pay um, certain of your high level directors or officers under the intermediate, intermediate sanction uh, laws. And those are IRS restrictions that prohibit 
excess benefits being provided that are inconsistent with the charitable purpose. And, you know, just like any other charitable organization, you would have to have conflict of interest policies and make sure that your directors and owners make the appropriate uh, disclosures, et cetera. So those are all general cons- you know, considerations that would apply to any type of business entity, not just a healthcare um, organization or business. But um, there are some other considerations that do come into play in the healthcare business. So one thing that's very common, and I guess I shouldn't say this is just healthcare because it could apply to others, is a lot of times you are forming a business in order to turn around and sell it quite often to private equity, or maybe you have kind of a long-term plan on where you want to, to head. It's important, just like for any type of business, to make sure that you think about how you're going to form that that company and how you're going to divide it so that it can be easily sold, whether you're selling the entire company, specific subsidiaries, um, or asset sales, stock sales. And if you do think you're going to be selling, you want to make sure that you're structuring your, your company and creating various holding companies as necessary. And because in the healthcare field, um, often what's most valuable about a business, particularly if you're a, a healthcare provider, for example, are your, say, your Medicare provider numbers, your Medicaid contracts, if it's a managed care state, your payer contracts, your state licenses, for example. And you don't want to have what they call a change of ownership in the event of a stock sale purchase or sale to a private equity company or even as a partial owner. Because if it's a change of ownership, a lot of those licenses and contracts will be invalidated and they won't go along with the company sold. So for that reason, it's good to have holding companies or structure those entities in a way that they can be easily spun off with the important and valuable assets, namely the contracts and the licenses, et cetera. So definitely want to take that into consideration if you think you know s- selling a company is on the horizon. And it seems like today, uh, selling to private equity, all of my clients seem to want to do that. So um, definitely want to keep that in mind. And it's also important once you get it all structured the way you want to structure it so you know you can easily spin it off with any of those types of valuable uh, assets and intangibles is to make sure that you respect the corporate entity, that you don't risk what they call piercing the corporate veil, which is when you are uh, commingling assets, for example, between one of your uh, affiliates and another or you personally as an owner in your company or you're not treating those entities as and respecting their corporate or their um, I, their identity, because that's not, not just for liability reasons. You don't want a lawsuit against one company to go against all your other companies, but also you want to make sure that that, that veil and that corporate entity is intact for purposes of future sale. So something to um, think about. Uh, there will be another podcast on sales to private equity or sales and, and mergers acquisition acquisitions generally. But again, when you're in the formation stage, it's really important to think about 
how you're going, what type of business entity you're going to be, what are the tax implications, what do you need to comply with those basic corporate formation and registration requirements. You know, make sure you know, for example, if you're not tax exempt, who do you have to pay taxes to based on where you're working? Local, state, you know, federal, et cetera, all of that needs to be taken in consideration. But again, going into the healthcare world, there are some things that are very unique while you're thinking about what kind of business and how it's owned and the structure. And one of the big issues in healthcare is there's a lot of attention paid and a lot of laws governing who can own a healthcare business. So, for example, there are some states that are called corporate practice of medicine states. So CPOM states. And I would say there's probably about 30 or so that have hack, ha, have app, uh, corporate practice of medicine doctrines and statutes on the books that are actively enforced. And this law basically says, or these sets of laws say that you cannot have a healthcare provider that is 100% owned or, or actually less than 100% owned by licensed healthcare professionals. So let me restate that. If your business is 100% owned by licensed healthcare professionals in that state, no problem. But if that business is owned by a combination of licensed healthcare professionals and non-professionals, or 100% owned by non-professionals, a corporate practice of medicine statute in that state may prohibit that business model. There is the whole concept of the corporate practice of medicine is the idea is that they don't want non-healthcare practitioners employing physicians uh, or other healthcare practitioners running a healthcare practice. I think they are concerned with uh, inappropriate uh, influence over medical judgment and and there are penalties often to the any types of providers who actually work for the entity but also for the entity itself that may include criminal civil or administrative penalties depending on the state law a lot of states have very specific prohibitions and are very active for example texas is one of those states other states like arizona has a corporate practice of medicine statute or at least something that could be interpreted that way but it is not enforced so in arizona it's very very common to have non-healthcare professionals own operate various healthcare providers run those businesses in the states that have corporate practice of medicine doctrines one common workaround is to have the company, your business, be a management company or a management service organization who then provides the management services to the healthcare provider. And the idea then is that you can argue as a management services organization or a manager that I'm not the provider. The provider is in fact owned by healthcare professionals, but we're just the management company. So we can come in and we can take over a lot of the operations of the practice and, and make life easier for the healthcare professionals. And we will take a, a cut or be paid for our management services. And that model is actually very common, but you still have to be very, very careful because several states go so far as to regulate the management 
model in corporate practice of medicine states. And some are very specific about what a manager can and cannot do for the practice. And several of them, in fact, most of them that have corporate practice of medicine prohibitions also restrict how the manager can be paid. You know, one of the ways that the, the setup that tends to be out there is that where the manager will come in and pretty much walk away with all of the profit. They will pay the, the healthcare provider or professional uh, a certain salary, maybe with some bonus options, but walk away with everything else. And there are a lot of corporate practice of medicine states that actively prohibit this and would prohibit a management company from, say, taking 80% of the revenue out of a practice. They view that as kind of a sham and understandably so. So when you, if you're at all interested in going into that type of model, it's really important to pick your states and know in advance whether you're going into a corporate practice of medicine state or not. I can't tell you how many of my clients have inadvertently gone into states like Texas and later regretted it, realizing that their entire model, the entire financial uh, model upon which their business is based will not, it cannot succeed because it's in violation of these laws. So that's an important concept to know is the corporate practice of medicine doctrine. But even if you're, that's really not a concern, um, in healthcare, you really have to pay attention to the owners, investors, and managers of that business and whether or not any of them have the potential to generate federal or state healthcare program business to your business. Now, this is where this is coming from is the idea that a lot of companies like to do is to bring in owners who could drive business to their business. And it's very common in every industry. In healthcare, however, there are some um, serious restrictions on your ability to do that if the business that you are soliciting and getting referred or being generated uh, is federal or state healthcare program business like Medicare, Medicaid, Indian Health Services, TRICARE, state healthcare program business, et cetera. Anything that pretty much can be funded by the government in healthcare is something that you have to be careful of. But a lot of the healthcare businesses, since that's where the money is, are absolutely paying attention to who can I bring on to my board? Who can I bring on as an owner who would then have an incentive to send business our way because you know they get paid uh, as part of their, as an investor, maybe they get paid as a board member. So if you're going to have any owners or investors or managers, and I'm not talking about just physicians who could write an order or refer a patient, it's generating any business. So if, if it doesn't have to be specific to ordering a specific service to a patient, it can be anything that ultimately might be covered by federal or state healthcare programs into your model. So if you're doing that kind of business, one of your owners or investors or managers can, can direct that business for you and bring in, whether through affiliates or their spouses or friends or networks, you're going to want to review the arrangement under the anti-kickback statute. And the anti-kickback statute, there'll be entirely another podcast on that law, is basically a prohibition that prohibits anybody from giving what they call remuneration, which is any type of payment or benefit 
to another person in order to induce them to basically generate business from for for uh, for your business to to encourage you to bring that business to you there are many many exceptions and what they call safe harbors to that statute again it'll be covered in another podcast but you definitely want to go go through and look at that analysis make sure you fit within an exception or a safe harbor or you're willing to accept the risk if you're dealing with those types of owners or managers who can who can send you business if any of those owners investors or managers are physicians then you also need to worry about the stark law uh, depending on the types of services you provide again we'll do another podcast on the stark law but it is just kind of like an anti-kickback statute but it specifically applies to physicians and the immediate family members of physicians. So for example, if you had a referring physician's spouse on your, on your board, for example, or uh, as an owner of the company, you, had, you have to be concerned about that. But it's the same concept that basically pro prohibits physicians or immediate family members of physicians from having an investment interest in or a compensation arrangement like a contract or payment arrangement with an entity to which they refer. And if so, there are prohibitions on the ability of that entity to bill the Medicare program. So if Medicare business and, and potentially Medicaid, because some have interpreted Stark to apply to Medicaid as well, that all needs to be considered. Um, some states as well, um, when you have any type of physician or healthcare practitioner on your, on your board, or you're paying them as an investor or potentially even as a, a manager or consultant, have what they call fee splitting laws that prohibit healthcare professionals from sharing their professional income with other entities. This could come into play, for example, in the management company concept that we addressed. Um, so, you know, you need to look at your state as well to see whether or not they would apply. And again, as I mentioned before, pay attention to your business, your investors, your owners. What other affiliated businesses do they have where there might be an anticipation of cross referrals? So it may not be just an issue of the anti-kickback statute in terms of them generating business for your business. Maybe your business is intended to uh, generate business for some of your investors affiliated businesses. And that could also be covered by the anti-kickback statute, depending on the type of healthcare services you provide and whether there's some federal or state funding involved somewhere in that process. Um, another little quirk about um, Medicare, and if you're a business that might be owned by a physician assistant, um, Medicare actually requires that physician assistants have another owner, a second owner who at least owns 1% of the business in order for uh, a physician assistant to basically provide services through that business. So that's a kind of interesting, unusual quirk in healthcare. So if you are a physician assistant, want to do a business that might involve the provision of your own physician assistant services, or other physician assistant services, um, just be wary about that provision. Also, um, there are under anti-kickback um, exceptions, um, some exceptions related to investment interests and uh, ownership interests in various types of healthcare providers. And there are some specific exceptions if you're interested in starting an ambulatory surgery center. 
Um, we'll also do a podcast on ambulatory surgery centers versus kind of the physician offices because um, ambulatory surgery centers make a lot more money than regular physician offices. And there are some kind of shortcuts folks have done to uh, try to hold a, a business out as an ambulatory surgery center when it's really not. And again, that'll be the subject of another podcast. Um, you also have to, in healthcare, we talked about the, the corporate practice of medicine and using a management company. But aside from that whole issue, you also have to take into consideration if your business is going to be managed by a management company, uh, Stark could apply depending on who owns the management company, anti-kickback uh, statute could apply, uh, fee splitting laws could apply. Um, you will have a whole separate podcast on management companies as well. But you do have to be careful about these arrangements and note that if you are going to have a manager, the manager will have to be disclosed if you participate in the Medicare or Medicaid programs and often with any healthcare plans as well if you're a provider as an entity that has direction and control of your entity. And for that reason, it's, it's really important to make sure generally Again, not only your owners and your investors and your managers, you need to make sure that they meet the criteria for acceptable individuals who can own healthcare providers and participate in the Medicare and Medicaid programs and have those contracts. For example, uh, federal and state law typically prohibit anybody who has certain types of criminal histories, for example, felonies or even misdemeanors in healthcare that, that might involve some fraud or embezzlement, financial crimes or healthcare crimes. They um, prohibit uh, you having any type of dealings, business dealings, employment with people who have been excluded or are excluded from federal or state healthcare programs. So you're going to have to want to make sure that you know what their history is and you will need to disclose all of these relationships on any type of Medicare or Medicaid application, typically. And so you don't want to get caught in a situation where one of your investors, say, has been excluded from participation in the programs because then you'll never, ever be able to, to become a Medicare provider or Medicaid provider, which again impacts your model. So screen these individuals very, very careful, carefully. Um, also, on these applications, you'll have to report anybody who has a 5% or greater interest in your business. And also, um, you'll have to rep represent who are your authorized personnel. And again, I'll do a podcast later on these applications and some of the pitfalls of them. But one of the issues we've seen is somebody with a felony accident, accidentally, well, actually intentionally written on the Medicare application as being somebody with authority to receive communications and work with Medicare and having authority over the organization, that person had a felony unbeknownst to the business. When Medicare found out during a routine review and cross-referencing records, that entire business got shut down. Doesn't matter how big you are, you cannot have somebody who is a felon who is listed on the application in that way. So that was serious. And we'll talk about that again in another podcast. Um, if your business is going to be funded uh, by a bank or a lender, or again, with private equity, you know, these all need to be disclosed. And if a business is going to participate in the federal or state healthcare programs like a provider and the financial interest excel itself exceeds 5% of the business's property or assets, that's also going to have to be disclosed. So, you know, that's 
you know, something else that uh, is important to consider. Um, so, you know, basically, um, all of these various issues tie into, you know, again, how you're going to be formed. Are you in compliance with the applicable laws in the states in which you operate? Are you paying the taxes to the correct entities? If you plan to participate in the Medicare or Medicaid programs, there's some very specific restrictions on who can own your business, what those requirements are. You're going to have to disclose them. And Medicare and Medicaid also have some laws that they put into place, but they have not fully implemented as of the date of this podcast related to affiliate entities where if you have an adverse history or haven't paid a debt or um, there's been some trouble or sanctions against one of your affiliates, they will mix and match or match that to your existing and new business or your current ownership and may use that as a basis to deny you participation in those programs or if you already participate in the programs to take you out of those programs. So um, again, be careful when you're forming a company, looking at the state laws as well. Again, corporate practice of medicine is a really big issue if you're going to be a healthcare provider. And even if you're not a healthcare provider, just doing business with a healthcare provider can invoke a lot of these other laws. Again, management companies, uh, corporate practice of medicine will impact your business line. But also, even if you're a completely separate business, like I provide IT or I provide, uh, you know, some staffing services or I provide just uh, consulting services and this business has people who have been excluded or sanctioned or criminal records, that could impact your ability to get any of those contracts because the providers themselves are prohibited by law from having those types of relationships with you. So again, those are going to be important considerations. And as we go through additional podcasts, I will break down a lot of these various components, anti-kickback, Stark, and we'll talk about a lot of other laws as well. But I hope that this at least gives you some of the things to think about as you're forming your new healthcare business. And if you already have one and you're concerned about your current ownership or some of the things that we've talked about in this podcast, I encourage you to get some legal review and take a look at your existing practices uh, before somebody else finds out about it and uh, there would be consequences to that. So until next time, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I'm signing out. Thank you.